0: Hello, everyone. I'm quite excited today to be in conversation with uh, Dr. Rudo Chigudu. And we're invited by the Guth Institute to really explore this idea of a gendered reading of the schooling context. And of course, there are many debates uh, when we think through what the schooling context is from the institutional perspective. If we're looking at what the national provincial departments of education are if we're looking at the promise of policy. But I'm hoping that we could really talk and think through about the yard, the space, the people, the bodies that supposedly the system is meant to be serving. And of course, there's the normative purpose of the education system, which is meant to be teaching and learning. And that also speaks to the overemphasis, at least in terms of research around performance um, and also looking more at the high schools at the tail end of um, matriculants in grade 12. But there are changes, so there's many ways we could cut up the space. Um, my name is Noma Mocho Pagate. I am a lovely black woman that believes in feminism and who's very passionate about research, stories, life narratives, black women's lives. Um, with that being said, please introduce yourself.
1: Thank you, Norma. Um, it's an absolute pleasure um, to finally share a platform with you. <laughs> Been hoping for some time that that moment would come. Um, I am Rudo Chigudu, um, activist scholar um, and feminist. And I think for me, youth are, yeah, a pivotal, right, part of... of of my world mainly because I think I came to activism as a young person um and I came to activism not from a deeply political thinking or framing but just really experiential um so you talk about about policy and structures um and I think deeply about the the social dimension the lived experience the realities um and often the disconnect, right, between what we imagine, think about, what we plan for, um, institutionally as countries, um, as development agencies, as as nonprofit organizations, when thinking about the youth. Um, so I come I come to youth work um, from really uh, an experiential um, space. And when I think about the youth, I, I think constantly about these two narratives that I was hearing constantly as a young person myself. Um, and then, and being asked or talked about in two very distinct ways. One way was this idea of this, imag- this imagination of the future youth as the leaders of tomorrow. Um, this glorified thing, right, that was aspirational. Um, it was a something to work towards. It wasn't what we were. It wasn't what we were experiencing. It was what we would become. Um, And so there's this reality of just being a project, right, in the making, (laughs) a cake in the oven. We don't know if you'll work out or not. Um, And then on the other hand, thinking about or being perceived as overly emotional of being unsure, rattled, these crazy youths who do, you know, crazy things um, because we are young and we don't know ourselves yet. Um, and constantly being told when you say something or you think something that you should wait until you're older, that you'll change your mind or you'll see it differently. So, really, just being trapped in this bubble um, of what is imagined for us but not being recognized fully um, in the moment as the people that we are. Um, And so for me, when I think about youth, I think about, of course, what everyone says, youth as transitional. Um, But the strongest tension is this tension between these beneficiaries, right? This group of people that needs to be helped and guided, um, and then this aspirational thing that you will become um, later in life. And so for me, um, I see an interesting opportunity opening in thinking about youth um, who are a category of people whose independence is limited because we see them as fragile and delicate and so in need of support. Um, and then, on the other hand, really having an evolving capacity, right? So, in different moments, their ability to engage, to think, to imagine, to create is growing and evolving. Um, and there's a social tension of not knowing how to hold that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's the, the most interesting thing for me um, when I think about youth or young people and what what might be possible um, in thinking about
0: youth. Thank you for that. Beautiful. I mean, I've never really thought about um, the two concepts, youth work within the, the schooling context. I mean, there's many categories that come up, whether you're seeing adolescent, young man or woman, whether you're talking about youth activism or very specific campaigns. But I hear what you say about the, the potential because I often also think about the schooling context in those two ways, that it could be constraining, that it could box us into really self-harming ways of thinking ourselves that we have to spend the rest of our lives working through. But there's also this potential aspect of it, that more than anything else, I mean, my fascination in terms of the the research work I've been doing uh, quite recently through the Centre for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, is this idea of what violence looks like within the schooling context or the other side of it, what safety looks like. And for me, this is tied, again, to the broader conversations around uh, policy work. Uh, I find it interesting, governance, and what it means in the everyday life. But it's this idea that, yes, we know that it it matters. We want to build Hanna's, you know, nature and, and really strong, independent black young people and education matters along with skills development But I'm very tied to this idea of access and inclusive, inclusive, meaningful access within the schooling context. And this is where all these challenges then surface. Here we have an array of limitations. So one category, for example, that comes into mind is the everyday manifestation of sexism. Um, The other that comes into mind is also what gender discrimination looks like. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this project, but I'm also reminded of the the faces of the young people that, as researchers, we engage with in the schooling context, and what ethically it means to surface quite a lot of issues that young people are faced with: and teenage pregnancy. I mean, there's there's so much um, that we can we can unpack. So just to share a little bit, one of my favourite exercises that we we use in the school dialogues at CSVR is this idea of school mapping. And really the ask there focusing on high school learners is this idea of saying, what do you understand safety to be? Or which parts do you feel are safe in within the community? And we do this in this interactive dialogue where young people um, draw literally their homes um, we try not to focus so much on the home because we've done so much research understanding community-level violence and crime. So we wanted to understand perceptions of young people. And so they draw literally their journey from when they leave the gate at home, what they see in the corners and the parks, right through to the schooling yard and what happens even within the yard. And I was fascinated to learn the sites of violence within the schooling context themselves, What what becomes gender discrimination. I mean, violence is the tail end of it. Um, when we look at it in terms of physical violence, but we know that there's emotional abuse, we know that there's psychological abuse, and we know there's different manifestations um, that lead to young people's mental health really being affected just by being present in the, in the school. So I'm sharing that um, to say, Ru, I mean, what we make as... I mean, I'm no longer youth, sadly, but what do we make of our work in solidarity, knowing some of these challenges that young people um, are faced with? What are some of our limitations and what are some of the beautiful gifts that we can be in solidarity to to young people in any of these social challenges um, that they're faced with?
1: Um, Thanks, Norma. It's a a challenging question um, because it it requires that we, we wear a new lens, um, because I think, as you said, engagement with youth or the youth category isn't new. Um, and part of the tension of trying to work with youth or around youth is the transitional nature of youth. And so, constantly, it's, it's challenging to work from what we had because what one generation of youth uh, are experiencing isn't necessarily what the next generation of youth is experiencing, but we seem to be trying to keep trying to use the same kind of mold. Um, but just to, to zoom out a little bit from what you're saying, one of the things that strikes me often is how we look at the youth as a, right? It could be a standalone category. Um, and we forget that youth are subjects of the context in which they exist, um, and if we were to think about art, I would, I would, I would describe youth as, as the art of our time. They're the art of our time in that they mirror for us what the state of our society currently is. Um, They're the art of our time because they are also a projection of the imagination of what the future can look like, could look like, should look like. Um, and so when we think about youth in that sense Um, we stop seeing the youth as a separate entity um, where we come to to intervene Right? we start to think about our society as a whole and the way how the way in which our society as a whole is structured is actually impacting this youth Um, so I think often we come as (laughs) non-youths thinking that because we had experiences um, of our own, we come thinking that we have solutions um, for their realities. But there's so much that is lacking in in understanding. And I think there are many ways in which when I think about engagement in processes, right? We plan for, we prepare, um, we listen closely to each other. Um, as I speak, you'll listen closely to what I say um, and whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, there's, there's the close, attentive listening that's tied to responding. And I don't get the sense that often enough, we listen to youth in the same way because there's this idea that they themselves don't know. They are transitioning what they think or feel today isn't what they will think and feel tomorrow. Um, so for me, there's something about uh, more deliberate, more attentive listening to what it is that the youth are saying about their lives, about their realities, about their experiences. Um, then there's, there's something else. Um, you talked about a range of tensions, challenges that the youth face uh, within the education system. And in thinking about that, I go back to my own... Um, experiences um as a young person and what were some of the tensions or what some of my observations now um or current research and you'll hear a lot about girls of a certain age right um young yeah young women not even young women we're talking about adolescent girls um that there's so much change that is happening in their lives that is unsupported. So when we think about youth as a category, we think about this one massive group of people who need this support, this guidance, but the peculiarities of their needs in terms of the way they are gendered, in terms of the way they are classed, geographically located, in, in terms of um, ability isn't nuanced. Enough, Um, And I'll talk about very basic generic things, right? So there are ways in which we'll think about youth holistically. Um, And by holistically, I mean as an entire group, right? Um, There's a disconnect if we think about, and I'll pick on one, sector health. There's a disconnect from how a young person up to the age of the end of their immunizations get completely lost in the healthcare system until their first pregnancy, if we're talking about um, young women or women. And in this disconnect, in this gap, um, there's so much that is happening to young girls that isn't acknowledged. So we talk about youth generic problems, access to education, blah, 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 but when we enter into that sphere of the education domain, we are blind, we individualize, right? So for me, it's, it's this move from the, from the whole um, where we need to support collectively, but we individualize the challenges that you'll find young women facing in these spaces. Um, so I'll talk about something like menstrual hygiene, for example. As a whole we can talk about education but when we talk about menstrual management it becomes a very individualized issue where a young woman has to deal with her very personal, very individual experience of menstruation. You have to figure out where the sanitary wear goes if there's no sanitary bins in the bathrooms within the school. You have a young person that's sitting in class Worrying about whether when they get up they sustain. Um, so the ability to focus, concentrate, the ability to engage in sport, in social, cultural spaces, activities, is greatly impeded by this very biological reality. But when we engage it, we see it as a it's a personal problem, um, and we personalize it because half the world's population. Right, is dealing with the same women, deal with this. But during this period of youth or adolescence, young girls are figuring their way out around this kind of management. And for me, there's a, there's a huge burden that falls on them that we don't necessarily see. And so we tend to say, oh, girls lose interest. They are worried about how they appear. They stop wanting to play sports. They are very body conscious, but we are not attentive to the ways in which the world we have created around them centralizes those bodies, objectifies those bodies, abuses those bodies. Um, And so it becomes, yeah, an individual problem, self absorbed in what's happening with their bodies, self conscious. and so when we think about engagement, we think about very individual um, solutions, which right, must be figured out by the individual or their family. Um, and so I think there's a huge tension for me there in thinking about all these issues, that they are, there's a selective zooming in and out, right, with what is collective as a, as a youth agenda. Um, and what becomes neglected as individualized, the individual problem. Um, And I think it's similar. You talked about gangsterism, you talked about substance abuse. And a lot of that is this stepping in, stepping out uh, of those spaces. The family structure of a young, a, a, a boy or a girl becomes their individual issue. But we see that the exposure to violence at family level um, is a potential catalyst for violence later in life. So young people are witnessing violence, they're experiencing violence, um, and can potentially become perpetrators of violence. And if we are not seeing the connectedness of those issues, we are at risk of continuing to skirt right on the margins, we continue to, to draft policies and plans um, and outline what, what would be great for youth as, as cultural activities, as sporting engagement, as entrepreneurial opportunities, as skills development. Um, but without recognizing that at the end of the day, we are dealing with human individuals who are steeped in a context that's impacting their realities daily. And if we are not paying attention to that, we are missing what is happening to them in that moment uh, and the opportunity to respond meaningfully um, to their needs, to their concerns, their worries. um, And missing the opportunity really to hear and understand what they are creating and imagining and aspiring for um, because we are stuck in these set ways of, you know, a youth leadership in the distant future that we are preparing for. So I think for me, yeah, those are, those are some of the things that feel like missed opportunities um, in not listening, not hearing um, where, where, where young people actually are, what their needs are, um, and really burdening them and individualizing challenges that I feel Need to be engaged in more structurally um, than yeah, than the individual plight of a young woman.